0: Somebody said at one point in time, and I don't know who said it, so I can't give him credit. Each one of us has a God-sized hole in our hearts. And many of us try and fill that hole with many different things. We we attempt to fill that hole with hobbies, with activities. We attempt to fill that hole with schedules and to-do lists. We attempt to fill that hole oftentimes with relationships with people, friends, children. We attempt to fill that hole with vacations and trips. We attempt to fill that hole with stuff and attaining different things in this life. And we attempt to fill the hole, but in our attempt, we inevitably fail. And each one of us faces a problem. And we all deal with with the very same problem. There is nothing in this world that can fill that hole save Jesus Christ alone, except God the Father alone and His Spirit that eventually, if you're a Christian, will reside within you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 and 6, 19 and 20. Amen? Now where I'm from, people whisper amen too. But I was hoping it might be different down here. It's not, Wesley? All right. So next time I cue you for the amen, feel free to shout it out. Because if we, as as saved of the earth, as people who are chosen and called to live as Christ lived, we ought to live in the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Thank you. And experiencing this weekend, I hope that you've been uplifted in your faith. I hope that you've been challenged to live out your faith. And I hope, As we together today assemble for the purpose of worshiping our God. Can feel the joy of the Lord. Now let's be challenged by our Lord for just a minute. We all face the problem of the hole in our hearts. I want to tell you what the answer is. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Jesus is the answer. And that's why when Deacon read from John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. That's the core of all things. I had a wonderful conversation yesterday evening with one of the elders here. He didn't know that I already planned to preach this and have this topic. And he stated to me, Austin, the love of God as it is given from the father to the child, us as Christians, it is the core of everything. And as we absorb the love of God, as we let the love of God fill the hole in our hearts... We let that feeling of God's love be oozed out and passed out from us to somebody else. And that love grows on them too. And in it, it infects them. And it engrafts to them. It becomes a part of them. And it moves them to love Him in return. Amen? I know it. Because the Bible said it. I know it because I saw my Lord live it. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. Jesus is the answer because he is the essence of God's love. And so, for the hole that you might fill, feel in your heart. And as this weekend, we've been calling it the elephant in the room. In reality, each one of us has an elephant in the room, and it creates a hole in our heart. The pressure. And the strain of having to deal with that elephant creates a hole. Well, we're trying to get rid of that elephant and let God fill the hole in our hearts. And if Jesus truly is the answer, here is my goal as a Christian. To be a seeker. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Seek, and you'll find. What is a seeker? ...because a seeker has to be something more than somebody in a Quidditch match. It has to be more than Harry Potter. A seeker has to be more than a father of two sons, three and one. When the one-year-old is pulling everything out of the drawers... ...and the three-year-old is magically disappearing it all, as he tells us at home... ...and we can't find half of our one-year-old's shoes. A seeker has to be more than somebody who's going on the search for the lost shoe... What is a seeker of God? A seeker is somebody who is trying to attain and obtain something. A seeker is somebody who is going in search of one thing in particular. Yes, I have sought after the shoe, and no, we have not found it. Our son, our youngest son, literally has three single shoes on top of his dresser because we have no clue where the other ones are. I guess they're in the same place with all those socks that you wash and dry and you never find them? Amen? I know that's true. We're seeking something more than a shoe or a sock. We're seeking the answer for the problem of life. And that answer is Jesus Christ. I want you to watch somebody encounter Jesus in his life. I want you to see him seek out the Lord. And then I want you to see what happens as people encounter Jesus. As people seek out the Savior, lives are changed. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. I hope you're already there. Verses 1 to 21. This isn't just the place in which John 3.16 exists. This is the place where a man goes in search of the Savior and his life is potentially changed for all eternity. If you're in John chapter 3, I want you to hear a couple of descriptions before we begin in the study of him. Nicodemus, we know his name. I think there are several types of seekers in the world. Many different types and, and five in particular I want to describe. Five types of seekers, let's see if you are one. The first type is a skeptical seeker. The skeptic is somebody who may be searching, but in reality, they're not certain, nor are they ready to commit to anything. Oh, they listen. They have itching ears, as the Bible talks about with certain groups of people, but in reality, they're not ready to commit. They're just too skeptical. You might be skeptical this morning. Truly. You may be a skeptic. You may be listening but not certain if you're really willing to commit. And then there are selfish seekers. These, type, these seekers are individuals who want their version of God. You're seeking something, but in reality you're seeking your version. You see, we ought to be seeking the God of the Bible, not the God of Austin's mind. Each one of us at some point in life had a God in our own version... And then we met the God of the Bible. You might be a skeptic, not ready to commit. You might be selfish, wanting your version of God. You might be another type of seeker. This one I like to call the sit still seeker. They want God to come to them. God, if you'll just come all the way from heaven, if you'll meet me right where I am, come all the way to me, I won't have to take a step, I won't have to breathe a breath, I won't have to do any single thing at all. You'll just come into me, you'll overwhelm me, and you'll take me like a wave of the sea. Then I'll know. Maybe. Are you a skeptic? Are you selfish? Have you been sitting still for too long? Or... Are you ready to be a selfless seeker, a selfless individual who truly wants God to lead them wherever God sees that fit? Or are you a sincere seeker, someone who is truly, honestly seeking out the God of the Bible and whatever end that becomes for that person, they're okay with it because the authenticity in which they live, the sincerity in which they seek, I hope you're one of those last two. Let's look at Nicodemus in chapter 3 and see what he was. The Bible opens up in verse 1 of that chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was in the ruling party, the popular people of the old covenant law. And this man came to Jesus when? By night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Interesting the words that Nicodemus chose to use here. He said, Rabbi. Rabbi just means teacher. He didn't call Jesus Lord. He didn't refer to him as Messiah, he says, rabbi, teacher, of which there were many rabbis in that day and age. Rabbi, teacher, we. So he calls him by a general name. And then he doesn't even single himself out, but groups himself within a setting of other people. I wonder what is holding Nicodemus back. Oh yeah, he came under the shroud of darkness. I don't know what Nicodemus' intentions were. I don't know where his heart was nor why he came to Jesus at night calling him by a general name and then grouping himself within another group of people. But I know what happens moving forward from this encounter. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus basically said, how is that possible? How can an old man be born again? He's big and grown. Well, Jesus goes on to answer in verse 5. He says, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, get with the picture, Nicodemus. You come here thinking of worldly things in worldly terms, but I've come to bring more. I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. I've come to bring that which is flesh and transform it into that which is spirit. I don't know what you've been seeking. Jesus could have said, but I know the answer that I'm about to give you. Are you ready for the answer? This man encountered Jesus and his life was potentially altered for all time. The following paragraph he says in verse 9, Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus says in verse 10, aren't you a teacher of Israel yet? You don't understand what I'm talking about. That's when Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes in that man, verse 15, well he may have eternal life. Jesus wanted Nicodemus to find and encounter and seek the Savior and let his life be changed. You can turn over to two more verses ...within John's account of Jesus' life. John chapter 7 verse 50 and 52. Look what the Bible says quickly. You see, this was a man who came to Jesus at night... Gave, ...talked to him with a general name... ...and then he grouped himself within an, a group of other people. Well, he encountered Jesus. And then as Jesus went about preaching and teaching... ...and causing a scene in John chapter 7... ...there were a group of people that wanted to come and arrest him... John chapter 7, verse 44 says, But no one laid hands on him because of the fear of the crowds around him. And so, verse 45, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Who stands up and speaks in verse 50? The man who came in the shroud of darkness. The man who did not use his own name or single himself out. The man who spoke in general terms all of a sudden stood up before his people, the rulers and the leaders of the Jewish people. He stood up and said this. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, that may not seem like a lot. You may be thinking, Nicodemus, give me more. Like, stand up and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. Let's let him be. But you forget the setting. There were groups of people who were willing to arrest him, beat him, and kill him. And Nicodemus is like, hold up now. Let's think about our law. I see Nicodemus, which, by the way, the Bible describes in verse 50 as a man who had gone To him before? And who was one of them? Who was Nicodemus a part of? Not only was he part of the ruling party of the Jews, there's a possibility that Nicodemus was coming to Christ. Seeing him not just as rabbi, but as Messiah. Not just as a man, but as a savior. Nicodemus might have been in search of the answer. He stood up for Jesus. And then trans- and then move forward to John chapter 19. You look at verse 39. I love to hear Bibles turning and pages opening. John 19 verse 39. Your Bible says it. My Bible says it too. Who do we find coming to the tomb of Jesus... Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloe, 75 pounds in weight, and so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus, the man who came, who I like to call a halfway seeker at first, he may have been skeptic, he may have been selfish... He may have been a sit still type of guy but he encountered Jesus and he was moved into action. He stood up for the the Lord in front of a group of people who were ready to arrest him. He went to the tomb of the killed criminal and brought goods to wrap and place the body of Jesus. This man encountered Jesus. I believe his life was changed we encounter Jesus and our life is changed and you choose which way your life goes people will be changed by our Lord you could be like Nicodemus and be a halfway seeker yet turn and live your life for the Lord. You could be like other people, the Pharisees maybe, who encounter Jesus but are are even more against him than they were before hearing his teaching, seeing his life. I don't know what you're going to in what ways you're going to change, but you will change when you encounter Jesus. I pray that you change towards John 3:16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me. I pray that you see the love of God. You see Jesus as the answer to the problem of life and you let Him change your mind. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we ought to be in the transformation process by the renewal of our minds so that we can give to God our lives which is our reasonable service, some Bibles say, our spiritual worship because we've encountered the Christ, the answer to the problem of life. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you seen God's love? Have you experienced it in your own life? Because you're probably dealing with elephants. Before we come to a conclusion, I want to talk to you about donuts. You may have heard this story before. You may not have. There's a teacher teaching an intro to Christianity class at a university. And in that class, he decided he wanted to let some people understand some things a bit more clearly. And so he decided, his name was Dr. Christensen, he decided that he was going to take a young man, Steve, who happened to be on the football team. He was a center on the football team, was a great player. He was was on the academic honor roll. ...for his work in the classroom... ...and a starter on the football team... ...for his work on the field. He was well-liked, well-loved by many people. And even though Dr. Christensen had tried hard... ...to communicate the essence of the gospel message... ...of Jesus in his class... ...he found that most of his students... ...looked upon that course... ...and quite frankly the gospel... ...as drudgery and old hat. And so he got with Steve... ...after class... ...early in the week... ...and he asked Steve the question... How many push-ups can you do? Steve said, I do about 200 every night. 200? That's pretty good, Steve. Dr. Christensen said, do you think you could do 300? I don't know, Steve replied. I've never done 300 at a time. Well, do you think you could, asked the professor. Well, I could try, answered Steve. How about this? Can you do 300 in sets of 10? You see, I have a class project and I need you to do about 300 push-ups in sets of 10 for this to work. Can you do it? I need you to tell me that you can do it, said Dr. Christiansen. Steve said, well, I think I can. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can do it. So Dr. Christiansen said, good. I need you to do this Friday. Let me explain to you what I have in mind. So Friday came. And Steve got to class just a little bit early, sat in the front row, and when class began, Dr. Christensen pulled out a huge box of donuts. Now these weren't just like the normal kind of donuts, all glazed or maybe even some chocolate on top. No, these are the fancy, sprinkly, frou-frou kind of donuts that people probably get white coffee with. And so people were pretty excited. Hey, this is going to be an early start to the weekend. We're going to go to Dr. Christensen's class, get a little bit of a donut action. This is going to be awesome. And so they file into class. People are talking. People are excited. And then Dr. Christensen said, over here on the right side, first girl on the front row of which there are four. One, two, three, four. Sorry. That's columns. These are rows. Cynthia, would you like one of these donuts? Well, Cynthia said, yes, please. So Dr. Christensen turned to Steve. Steve left his desk, got on the ground and said, Steve, would you do ten push-ups so that Cynthia may have a donut? He said, sure. He jumped down the ground, popped ten off there, you know, popped up feeling good about himself. So then he returned and went to the next person. He said, Joe, Joe, would you like a donut? Joe said, sure. The professor asked, Steve, would you do ten push-ups so Joe can have the donut? Steve said, sure. Ten push-ups, down, up, finished, moved on. Dr. Christensen continued down the first aisle, asking the person, would you like a donut? They said, yes, Steve, would you do ten push-ups so they can have a donut? He made his way down to the second aisle, and he came to Scott. Scott was on the basketball team and in as good a physical condition as Steve. And so the professor asked Scott, would you like a donut? Scott's reply was, yeah, if I can do my own push-ups. And Dr. Christensen said, no, Steve has to do them. Scott said, well, then I don't want one. The professor shrugged his shoulders, then turned to Steve and said, Steve, would you do ten push-ups? So Scott can have the donut that he does not want? Steve said, sure. With perfect obedience, Steve started doing the push-ups. And Scott yelled, hey, I said I didn't want one. Dr. Christensen said sternly, look, this is my class. These are my desks. These are my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. So Scott took his donut, put it on the desk. Now by this time, Steve had begun to perspire and was starting to slow down a little bit. He actually just stayed on the floor between sets because it took too much effort to get up and down. And as Dr. Christensen started down the third row, many students were beginning to get a little angry. Dr. Christensen asked Jenny, Jenny, do you want a donut? And she firmly answered, no. Then Dr. Christensen asked Steve, Steve, would you do 10 more push-ups so Jenny can have the donut that she doesn't want? Steve did 10. Jenny got a donut. By now a groaning sense of uneasiness filled the room. The students were beginning to say no and there were all these uneaten donuts left on the desk. Steve also had to put forth a lot of extra effort to get these push-ups done for each donut. There was at this point in time a pool of sweat on the floor where he was perspiring and it was dripping off of his face as it was turning red from the physical effort having to be put forth. And because Dr. Christensen could no longer bear to watch Steve's hard work go for all these uneaten donuts left on desks, he asked Robert, the most vocal unbeliever in the class, to come forward, stand, and watch Steve do his push-ups, counting to make sure he did all ten in each set. And as the professor started down the fourth row, he noticed students from other classes had wandered in and sat down on the steps along the radiators that ran down the sides of the room. He did a quick count and saw that there were now 34 students in the room and Dr. Christensen started to get worried. I don't know if Steve is going to be able to do all of these push-ups for all of these students. So he went on to the next person and the next, and the next. And near the end of the row, Steve was really having a hard time. It was taking a lot more time to complete, and Dr. Christensen just finished the fourth row and started on the visitors seated by the radiators, and Steve's arms were now shaking with each push-up in a struggle to lift himself against the force of gravity. Sweat was profusely dripping off his face, and there was no sound except his heavy breathing. No one said a word. By this time, there was not a dry eye in the room as Steve suffered on the ground, push-up after push-up, uneaten donut after uneaten donut. The very last two students in the room were two young women, both well-liked, kind, very friendly individuals. Dr. Christensen went to Linda and asked if she wanted a donut. Linda said very sadly, no thank you. And so the professor quietly said, Steve, would you do ten push-ups? so that Linda can have a donut she doesn't want. Grunting from the effort, Steve did ten very slow push-ups for Linda. And then the doctor turned to Susan and said, Susan, do you want a donut? And Susan, with tears pouring down her face, pleaded, Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? And Dr. Christensen, with tears of his own, Explained, no, Steve has to do it alone. I've given him the task, and he's in charge of seeing that everyone here has an opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. When I decided to have a party this last day of class, I looked back at my grade book. Steve is the only student with a perfect grade. Everyone else has failed the test, skipped the class, or offered up inferior work. And Steve told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, he oftentimes has to do push-ups. And so I told Steve that none of you could come to the party, not a single one of you, until he and unless he was willing to pay the price by doing your push-ups. So he and I made a deal for your sake, Steve would you do ten push-ups so Susan can have a donut? And Steve very slowly finished his last push-up, with the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, having done 350 push-ups, his arms literally buckled beneath him and he fell face-first onto the floor. Dr. Christensen turned to the room and said, and so it was, that our Savior... Jesus Christ pleaded to the Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. With the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, he yielded up his life for us. And like some of those in this room, many leave the gift on the desk uneaten. And in effect, our Savior suffered and died to be the answer to your problem that you're not willing to receive. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Can I ask you a question? Will you eat the donut? Will you let God fill the hole in your heart? Will you allow Jesus to be the answer to your problem? Because he's ready and willing. And the Bible says, if you are, he's ready and willing to forgive. And if we can help you come to Jesus... For the answer and for the solution of the problem in your life, whatever it is, we want to help you in your walk towards Christ, with Christ, into eternity forever. Amen? Let it be known as we stand and sing this song together.